0: Hello, and welcome to MapBytes episode 171. I'm Elaine Giles and I'm here with my co host Mike Thomas. In this episode, it's all sausages, knobs, and fancy cables. Welcome back, and if you're new, great to have you with us, and welcome to the MapBytes family. MapBytes is a tech podcast where we share our thoughts on tech news, AppleKit, and so much more. We also review apps, and as IT professionals, we share both our love for hardware and software. We're a quirky show you need to check out the newbie's guide to Macbytes that you'll find at macbytes.co.uk. Plenty of fun from all the years we've been doing Macbytes.
1: In the last show, we talked about the tax for the tech challenged, and kind of on the same theme, I'd like to share my recent experience of paying a gas bill. The tax for the tech challenged isn't a real tax yet. It was a reference to a surcharge by Ryanair for printing out someone's tickets because they didn't check in online. My story doesn't involve a surcharge, but it does relate to online payments. All I wanted to do was pay a gas bill. It should have been so simple. And it has been so simple. We get a gas bill four times a year, once a quarter. I log into my bank account using the app on my phone. I tap make a payment. I select British Gas from the list of payees. I type in the amount, tap confirm, and that's it. I've been doing it four times a year for the past eight or nine years. I'm old school. I've read enough horror stories on Reddit and money-saving websites to avoid direct debits. Direct debit, I think, is a UK-only term. Basically, the gas company, electric company, or whoever, send you a bill each quarter and take the money out of your bank. Benefit? It saves you having to do it. So what's the problem, you ask? Well, these horror stories involve them taking the wrong amount. Always in their favour, never yours, of course. So when the bill arrived the other day, I looked at it. It came with an accompanying letter. We've set you up on our new system. What new system? You have a new customer account number. And please note, there are changes to how you can pay. There used to be three ways to pay. Bank transfer, the method that I've used for the past eight or nine years. Online where you log into your account at the gas company's website, go to billing and enter your bank account details. That necessitated having a British Gas account. We've got plenty of accounts, Google, Microsoft, Apple, Spotify, to name just a few. But British Gas isn't amongst them. The third way to pay was by telephone. Call the number printed on the bill and follow the automated prompts. Now, there's only two ways to pay. They'd removed the bank transfer method. I did consider just logging into my bank account and paying it like I always did. But if they've taken away that method, I had no idea if it would work. What if British Gas had closed down that bank account or changed the account number? Theoretically, the app should pop up an error. This account no longer exists. But what if it didn't? My payment would end up in a financial black hole. And as far as British Gas were concerned, the bill wouldn't have been paid. So at 8 a.m. I called customer services. It did say on the letter, customer services was open from 8 a.m. I was greeted by an automated voice. No, not the press one for this, press two for that. I didn't even get that far. Our offices are now closed. Please call back after 9 a.m. Three letters came to my mind. F. F. S. So I called back at 9 a.m. Eventually, I got through to someone. I asked if it was still possible to pay by bank transfer as this method was no longer listed on the bill. He told me yes it was. I asked if he'd confirm the account number I should use to pay into. The account number he gave me was not the one I'd been using for years. So I said thank you and exited the call. I then went into my online bank and deleted the British Gas payee record and tried to set it up again from scratch using the new account number he'd given me. When I typed British Gas as a payee, it listed five bank accounts and none of them matched what this customer service guy gave me. Weird, I thought. Maybe he's given me the wrong account number. Maybe he gave me his own personal bank account number. I know I shouldn't be having those thoughts, but it does happen. I've probably read about it on Reddit. So I left it until the following day. With the payment deadline looming, rather than call customer services again, I used the chatbot on the British Gas website. In just a few words, please describe your problem, it said. I want to pay the bill. I don't have your account details, I typed. This was obviously too difficult for the chat bot, so it said it was passing me to a customer service agent. At least I get to chat with a real person. When I say chat, it was still text chat, not voice chat, but still better than an AI bot. Despite me having already typed, I want to pay the bill, I don't have your account details, because I'd been passed to a real person, I had to explain my issue again. Thank God for copy and paste. Sorry, we no longer allow bank transfer as a payment method. Okay, so why did your colleague give me some bank details yesterday? I thought, but refrained from typing. Instead, I typed, so the method I've been using for the past nine years is no longer available. I waited three minutes for him to type no. The no never came. Instead, please give me three or four minutes. Ooh, is he going to let me bypass the system, I wondered. Whilst waiting, I called the phone number printed on the bill and followed the automated prompts. I entered the 16-digit number on my bank card. I entered the expiry date and I entered the three-digit number on the back of the card. I confirmed the amount and that was it. Bill paid. But I wanted to know what the customer service agent was going to come back with. And true to his word, four minutes later, he came back to me. Please can I have your email address? I gave it to him. Please check your email. So I did. He'd set up a British gas account for me. All I had to do was click on the link in the mail and set up a new password. Do I want an account? Well, I had no say in the matter. He'd created it. I guess as long as I can log in each quarter and pay the bill, it's probably going to be quicker than making a phone call. And, like the online flight check-ins, it seems to be the way the world is going.
0: No data breach to report this week. Don't be ridiculous. Of course there is. Yet again, police-related. I really don't know why they don't just post everything on Facebook and save us all some money on the increasingly laughable security on display here. This time, it's the Metropolitan Police, who are said to be on high alert after all 47,000 personnel were notified that their names, photographs and ranks had been accessed. This was after a cyber intrusion of the IT systems of a contractor responsible for printing warrant cards and staff passes. Mm, A ludicrous thing to outsource given the result. Staff have been notified, was their quote. No mention of their reply to said notification. But I doubt I could have repeated much of what was probably said anyway. So on to Apple iPhones. More specifically, slow USB cables, because there's been more rumour and speculation than is good for anyone this week about the cable that may or may not ship with the yet to be announced iPhone 15. Will they come in different colours? Will they be braided? Will they be longer than previous cables? But the most burning question appeared to be, will they be slow? With faster cables reserved for those in the expensive seats, for which read, those buying the Pro, Ultra, Super suck up to Timmy edition. Delete as applicable there. But never mind. Does it matter? Apple will doubtless sell faster ones at an eye-watering price. But it could be worse. They could make the cable subscription. Pay every month and they'll let you use a rented cable. And while that might sound ridiculous, once upon a time, the concept of renting software would have sounded just as ridiculous. And yet, look at where we are now. Oh, talking of ridiculous, more branding arguments this week too. Hot on the heels of Prepare, and so, so many more. Come Sausagegate. Now, before you start giggling, I'm happy to admit here this was a mistake on my part. I got confused between kebabs and German sausages. Now, there's a couple of reasons why that would happen. One, I don't eat either. And two, the company claiming that their logo had been ripped off was Pornhub. Yes, it was a most unfortunate leap that my poor adult holiday brain made from a logo to a bratwurst, The business in question is a German kebab shop called Donnerhaus, spelt H A U S in New York. Pornhub are concerned that people will become confused between their hmm, how to word this delicately. Services and the German kebab shop. However, Seen as though their logo is the image of YouTube's old logo, save for the colour, you think they'd keep their own counsel. They didn't. If they're right, let's just say there could be some extremely disappointed diners if they're sent packing with only a kebab. There was also a massive U-turn from Apple this week. They are now supporting the right to repair bill. Yes. This is after years of fighting against it. Has Timmy come to his senses? Or has he found a way to monetize it? Or better still, create a subscription-based service of it? The bill is known as SB244 and will require manufacturers to provide parts, tools and repair diagnostics necessary for both customers and third-party repair providers to fix products. The idea is to encourage a competitive repair market that's cheaper for consumers and better for the planet. Mm. Let's see how all this pans out. I still hanker for the days of replaceable batteries. Oh, replaceable hard drives. Oh, and so much more. Things like ports and and things like that. Mm. I'll I'll just enjoy myself there for just a second. OK. In another U-turn, Timmy has joined Instagram. Why? Well, your guess is as good as mine. Maybe it's his own little protest about Elon's new Twitter world. In which case, he'd be out of Elon's frying pan and into Zuck's fire. Although he's not on threads yet. Was Timmy ever on Ping? In fact, can anyone even remember Ping? It was Apple's half-hearted attempt at a social network, all related to iTunes. Launched in September 2010, it had over a million users within 48 hours. I suspect those sign-ups were the first and last time most of the users used Ping. Ping was faced with the ignominy of a quiet death two years later. I know what you're thinking, though. Am I following Timmy on Instagram? Wrong question, MacBiters. The correct question is, is Timmy following me? And the answer to that is a resounding no. He's been on the run for years now. Can't face the big interviews, can you, Timmy? The interviews where questions you don't want to answer would be asked. Mm-hmm. Those questions In other news, Samsung have released an app for iPhone users, so they are able to experience the, massive air quotes, joy of a galaxy fold. You need two iPhones and some duct tape to fully appreciate said app. But still, if you're bored senseless and looking for something to occupy you. Now, as luck would have it here at MacBytes headquarters, we do have MacBytes Siri and Lady Siri. But I think their terms of employment preclude them getting that close. After the last time, I can assure you it does. I made sure of it. A new toy from 12 South. Actually, to be precise, a new addition of an existing toy. The High rise Until now, it'd been dedicated to the iMac and particularly the old style iMacs. This new version is made for the M1 iMac and the Apple Studio display. It's more than a simple stand. It's both a stand and an organiser. It wraps around the leg of the monitor, hiding the leg from view. This also means you're able to adjust the height of your screen. Now, it does this via a range of slots inside the box like structure of the thing. It claims to work for other displays, too. But looking at my three Samsung monitors, I'd have to cut the legs off first. So the high-rise looks like a box. It's finished in silver. And one of the reviews assures me that space grey is out of favour now and silver is where it's at. Fashion. Can't keep up with it and not really interested in drying, to be honest. The top of this box is finished in leather. And the idea is that placing items such as your phone on it won't scratch the phone nor the high rise. It has a front cover to keep anything and everything that you choose to stash in there hidden from view which is coated in walnut on one side and aluminium on the other. There's no mention of whether this is real leather or vegan leather, though. Inside the box, there's space for a range of small devices. And since there's a slot at the back, that includes hubs and docks. They're a prime candidate for including in there and tidying up your cables. The shelf is flexible in terms of placement. There are four slots inside the case at one inch, 1.75 inches, 2.75 and 3.75. That is 2.5 centimetres, 4.5 centimetres, 6.9 centimetres and 11.4 centimetres in metric. Anything from 12 South is great quality, but that usually comes with a price to match. The original high rise was priced approximately one hundred and seventy dollars. So I was really surprised that this new model is priced lower at 149.99. The cheapest I could find it on Amazon was 143 pounds 15 pence. Am I tempted? Well, I can see the benefits of it. But as I said when I finished my Al Gore setup and hid every cable, I have no intention of moving anything ever ever again. And it wouldn't work with my monitors either. They've got these very wide wing style legs, but I think I'd probably give it a miss anyway. I do love hiding stuff out of sight, but this box being wrapped around the leg sits front and centre. But in another setup, it might just be what you need to get all your tiny tech toys out of sight. Also, nice to see the prices coming down too. Mm, there's something Apple could emulate. Yeah, like that's going to happen. But, you know, the idea is there, isn't it? Let's just leave it there. Right in front of Timmy and let him consider it.
1: Welcome to Behind the Scenes of Mike's YouTube Studio, Part 3. Having covered the camera, the teleprompter and remote controls in the last show, in this show, I'll be talking all things audio, my lighting setup and my new bookshelf and backdrop. Let's start with audio. As a reminder, for the proof of concept test back in July last year, I used my iPhone 11. Initially, it was being used to record both the audio and video. However, when I bought the teleprompter, because the iPhone was then behind a sheet of glass being used as the camera, it caused the audio quality to suffer. I considered using my iPhone 7 to record the audio. Keep it on the table so it's close enough to me, but out of shot of the camera and sync the audio to the video recorded by the iPhone 11 using Camtasia afterwards. If you remember, I was already using the iPhone 7 as a remote control for the teleprompter. But, I explained last week, I got out the remote that came with the teleprompter and that freed up the iPhone 7 for recording the audio. After doing a couple of videos using the iPhone 7, I wasn't over impressed with the quality, so decided to try my old Blue Yeti. My thinking was that being a professional-grade mic, it should produce much better audio than the iPhone. The first problem with using the Yeti is that it needs to be plugged into a computer and said computer needs an audio recorder. No problem, I had a Microsoft Surface. It has a USB port, it has Hindenburg and Audacity installed. I was, as they say, off to the races, but not quite. To get the most out of the Blue Yeti, you need to twiddle with its knobs. That's a technical term, by the way. Rather than talk about knob twiddling here, I've put a link in the show notes to your blog post about the Blue Yeti. Even after configuring the Blue Yeti, I still had a couple of issues. The main one was that to get the best audio, the Yeti needs to be directly in front of you, about three inches from your mouth, and that meant it would be in shot. I do see quite a few YouTubers with the microphone in shot, but I didn't want to be one of them. The second problem was that because it was on the desk, it picks up every little vibration. For example, during one recording, I very gently tapped my leg against the desk leg. Total accident. And when I listened back to the recording, I could hear the vibration. I had the same problem when I used to use the Yeti to record MacBytes, which was why, in the end, we screwed it to a microphone arm just to get it off the desk. So, after just one recording, I ditched the Yeti and chose to seek your advice. And you came up with three suggestions. Lavalier, shotgun microphone and digital recorder. A lavalier mic is the one that you clip to your lapel, or in my case, the neck of my have an excellent day t-shirt, because that's what I wear when I'm recording. Never short of kit, you magicked up a lavalier from your bottomless tech bottom drawer, which we tested by plugging into my iPhone 7 via a dongle, but it didn't pick it up. Now, that could have been the mic, or it could have been the iPhone, but the upshot was it wasn't working. So, On to suggestion number two, a shotgun mic, which again you just happen to have in that tech bottom drawer. Shotgun mics can pick up sound from further away but need to be on a boom arm or a mount. Like the Yeti, a shotgun mic needs to be plugged into a device. And because the one that you had has an XLR connector, which most shotgun mics have, I'd either need an XLR to USB adapter to be able to plug it into the surface or I'd need to plug it into a mixer and plug the mixer into the Surface using a USB cable. Either way, without a mixer or XLR to USB adapter and needing a much longer cable than the 18-inch one that came with the mic, we left testing that one for another day. Your third suggestion was to use a digital recorder. Yet again, You raided the Magic Tech bottom drawer and pulled out the Zoom H4 digital recorder, which has two microphones and works standalone, so requires no cables or connectivity to a computer. It even comes with its own batteries, courtesy of the Magic Tech bottom drawer. I tested it by placing it on the table about 12 inches away from me, but out of shot of the camera. It records to a removable SD card, and after recording, I remove the card and transfer the file to my iMac via a USB card reader. The first test wasn't 100% successful. Like the Blue Yeti, it picked up desk vibrations. No problem, I thought. I'll raid. No, not the magic tech drawer. This time, I raided the kitchen. Yes, the same kitchen we raided for Kitchenalia when we needed to fit memory into an iMac. This time, I was looking for a rubber mat. We have some small rubber mats, about 8 inches square, that we use to put hot dishes on. Not that the zoom is hot, but hopefully it would reduce the vibration. Rubber being widely regarded as the best way to reduce vibration. Let's not even go there, hey? Anyway, it appeared to do its job, so that became my preferred solution. I recorded several videos using the Zoom to record the audio. Whilst not perfect, the quality is better than I'd got from the other two solutions, although that's partly down to some magic incantations that you'd done in Hindenburg. Having used the Zoom recorder for a few weeks, we really decided that although it was the best solution we'd tried so far, it was time to roll out the big guns, if you pardon the pun, and get the shotgun up and running. So it was off to the magic tech bottom drawer again to find a microphone stand and XLR cable and off to Amazon to look for a mixer. No, not that kind of mixer, not a kitchen Kitchenalia mixer, an audio mixer. I've stuck a link in the show notes. Basically, it's a little magic box that takes the input from the mic via an XLR cable and sends it to, in my case, my Surface via a USB cable. The benefit of using a mixer is that it has a couple of knobs on it, which let you control the level of the audio that is sent to, in my case, Hindenburg, which is the app on the Surface that I'm using to record. So that is the solution that I'm now using. I've made a couple of changes to the initial setup. One is the location of the mic. Initially, it was on a stand on a table in front of me. I no longer have the table as part of my setup. I now stand up when I do my pieces to camera. So I've screwed the mic arm to the projector stand. That's the stand with the teleprompter and camera on it. The mic is three, four foot in front of me and that's the perfect distance for the shotgun mic that I have. The other change is that I now connect the mixer to my Windows laptop rather than the Surface. So that's the audio. The next thing to talk about is my lighting setup. I started off with four lights, two ring lights and two flat panel lights. These would have been fine, but for the fact that I wear glasses. One of the ring lights was placed right in front of me because it was doubling up as a camera stand, but that caused a huge distracting circle to appear on my glasses. You can see it in my early videos. It's a known issue. So I read a few blog posts and watched a few videos, and they all told you how to reposition the light to avoid this. But it didn't work for me. So it was back to Amazon following your advice to look for lights. There were so many options to choose from, but having read reviews and watched some YouTube videos, I opted for the Neewer 700W softbox lighting kit. The kit included two lights, and because they were on offer, I bought two of them, which was just as well given the accident that I had. More of that later. The kit included two bulbs, two tripods, Two fabric softboxes, which houses the bulb and softens the light, hence the name. And two fabric covers for the front of the softboxes. The covers soften the light, which helps prevent the glare on my glasses. There's a link in the show notes if you want to get a better idea of what they look like. Once I'd put the lights together, the next thing was to position them correctly. Again, your advice on three-point lighting was invaluable. I'm no photographer or videographer, but basically you have two lights in front of you and one behind. Although in my case, there's no room behind me, so the third light was placed to the side. Again, it was a bit of trial and error to get the best lighting effect. What I now have is actually a four light setup. In front of me are two NIWA lights, both pointing towards me. One is to the left of the camera as you look at it and the other is to the right, a little bit further back. When I'm standing in front of the camera, I have a third, newer light to my left, pointing at me, but it's at an angle, so it focuses on both me and the wall. I decided not to put the cloth cover on this one. It makes it brighter and because it's at the side of me, isn't going to cause a glare from my glasses. The fourth light is one of the original small flat panel lights, which is just in front of and to the right of me, pointing at the wall just to provide some light from that side. Everything I've talked about so far has been things that you don't see. The camera, the lights, the audio recorder. But what about the bookshelf and the brick wall backdrop that you do see in my videos? As I explained in part one of this look at my YouTube studio setup, the bookcase full of books that you saw behind me in my early videos isn't a real bookcase. It was a five foot by seven foot vinyl sheet with a picture of a bookcase printed on one side. Having watched other YouTube videos, what I really wanted was a real shelving unit that I could decorate with Excel-related bits and bobs. But having a real shelving unit in front of a bookcase full of books, fake or real, would have looked a bit silly. So it was off to Amazon to find a shelving unit. The wooden shelving unit I bought has five shelves, is about five foot tall and about 16 inches wide. The backdrop I bought is a brick wall made from white bricks. The shelving unit is the one that Yodel claimed they tried to deliver three times and nobody was at home to take it. What they didn't know was that we've got half a dozen cameras covering every aspect of Matbite's headquarters. It was due on a Thursday, never arrived. We'll try again tomorrow, any time up to 10 o'clock in the evening, the email said. That would have been right in the middle of after hours. And sure enough, at 10.15 on the Friday night, I got another email telling me they tried to deliver it. No, they hadn't. I'd been monitoring the front door all night. It finally showed up on the Saturday morning, and I spent the Sunday morning assembling it. So, what's on the shelf? Some Excel-related books that I bought from a second-hand bookseller on eBay. A signed copy of Guerrilla Data Analysis Using Excel, a book written by Osdu Soleil and Bill Jellen, two fellow members of the global Excel community. Five empty Microsoft 365 boxes. When we buy Microsoft 365, we buy it from Amazon and the card with the license key comes in a little box with Microsoft 365 printed on it. I have a car number plate, I Love Excel. Although it's a real number plate, it's not been registered, so it's just for show. I can't legally put it on my car. And finally, on the top shelf are my four mugs. The two you bought me for my birthday this year, they're the ones I unboxed in show 203. There's a link to the unboxing in the show notes, by the way, if anyone missed it. And the other two mugs are an I Love Spreadsheets mug, which has a slight chip in it, and my I Love X lookup mug, which I designed myself on Canva. If you saw one of my recent videos, you may have spotted that the mugs were missing. The bookshelf isn't screwed to the wall, it's standalone, and although it's standing on a piece of wood, it's not that sturdy. So having already had one accident with the mugs, I decided not to leave them on the shelf, but put them there for the recording, and then place them somewhere safe until I need them again apart from that one video when I forgot to get them out and put them on the shelf. I only realised when I was editing the video. So what did I do? I went back to the studio, put the mugs on the shelf, took a photo and edited it into the video. It was perfect. At least it was for the intro. The outro was a different matter. As I swung my arms up to say, have an excellent day, I realised the mugs were in front of my arms. So I abandoned that idea and left the video without the mugs. And the accident? Oh yes, a few weeks ago I was standing on a chair trying to stick the backdrop back onto the wall. The warm weather had caused the frog tape that I used to stick it up there with to lose its stickiness. And my arm caught one of the lights, causing it to fall onto the shelf. Result, one smashed light bulb and one smashed mug. Cost to replace? £13 for the mug and £25 for the bulb. Before I wrap up this session, I got an email during the week from Bobby. Bobby said, hi Mike, many thanks for the insight into your studio setup. I was just wondering, now you have a foot pedal, is the remote control no longer being used? Well, funny you should ask that Bobby. It's now paired with the iPhone 11 and is being used to remotely control the camera. So I can get myself in the right place and position and start and stop the recording with a click of a button. Thanks for the question, Bobby. Finally, a recent addition to my setup is a 27 inch monitor. No, I didn't indulge myself with more spending. It was going spare when you got your new 32 inch monitors. It sits on top of a small drawer unit just in front of the stand that has the camera and teleprompter on it and is connected to the iPhone via a cable. What is on the monitor is the output from the iPhone, and I'm using it to 1 check the camera is straight, and two, check the camera is actually recording after I've pressed the button on the remote. So once again, that's a wrap. After so many people have asked about it, I hope you've enjoyed this three-part behind-the-scenes look at how I put together my videos.
0: And we're going live again on Friday with MacBytes After Hours. It's show 206. And I would love to be able to tell you what we're likely to be covering, but we're on holiday this week and I have absolutely no idea what I'll pull like a rabbit from a hat to share with you. Um, But whatever it is, I'm sure it'll be absolutely thrilling and you won't want to miss it. So it's Friday night, nine o'clock UK time. All you need to do is go to youtube.com slash Elaine Giles and the live show will be front and centre. Hmm. There may even be an agenda slide at the beginning once I've decided what we're doing. Mm. Can you tell I'm thinking about it? I'm making this up as I go along. <laughs> <laughs> Hold the presses. News just in, literally, and definitely deserving. an. <sighs> the September Apple event is announced the 12th of September. You know, my first thought. Mm. Mike's booked himself a three-hour webinar on that night. (laughs) So it'll it'll just be me. Uh, He'll join us for the first hour. But when the event starts, so does Mike. That's unfortunate, isn't it? Mind you, just think of how much I could buy before he returns. Your credit card at the ready. Now, the event is called Wonderlust, And the event invite is made up of blue, silver and metallic hues that Alika believes are the iPhone 15 Pro colours. Mm-hmm. And it says, and I quote, recent rumours have solidified around an iPhone 15 Pro with colour options suggesting that there won't be a gold option. Instead, Apple will offer 50, sorry, sorry. Apple will offer three shades of grey and a dark blue colour. Hmm. How are you supposed to choose between three different shades of grey? This is something I'm going to need to ponder. But said event is on the 12th of September and we will, of course, be covering it live on MacBytes FM. It will start. uh, Well, Apple will start prattling at 10 a.m. Pacific, which is 6 p.m. here, 7 p.m. in Europe. But we will be going live an hour earlier because because we can because we can and we will be discussing what we want to see, which doubtless will bear no relation to what we will actually see, apart from an exhausted credit card. That news literally just in as we're finishing off the show. Mmm, Dark blue. Could I go for dark blue? While you're looking at this picture of the suggested iPhone 15 Pro, The cameras on the back, they're making a bit of a fuss of them, aren't they? They are huge. Do you remember when people used to do comic drawings that looked like four rings on a cooker? (laughs) They look worse than that now. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to want one anyway because I haven't had a new phone since 2019. I did say to myself I was having the one in 2020 and then, yes, lockdown and then 2021. And I thought, well, it's not really much point. We're still in lockdown. Then 2022 and decided, you know what? Not really much point. So this year is looking potentially likely. I've just got to work out all these shades of grey and we'll see where we are. So hopefully you'll be able to join us. Oh, the excitement, the excitement. We might even get to see the Vision Pro thing again. But all anybody is talking about is the colour of the cables and the speed of the cables and whether the cables are braided. Um, Cables, not exactly exciting, Apple. Let's talk about the phone and let's put some real features in it and tempt me. Come on, Timothy, come and tempt me. Well, that's it for this episode of MacBytes. As always, we would love to hear from you. Please send your questions, comments and queries by email to the crew at macbytes.co.uk or use the contact form on the website. We also have a very active Slack chat room that's open 24-7. Simply go to macbytes.co.uk slash Slack and join the conversation. You can follow MacBytes on Twitter, twitter.com slash MacBytes. You can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash elaine giles. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash thomas mike.
2: And you can follow me at twitter.com slash macbitesiri.
0: So until next time, this has been Elaine and Mike
3: bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. Did you just order something?
2: I absolutely did.
3: Is it something nice?
2: It's something we should have handy, that's for sure.
3: Sounds interesting. What is it?
2: Glue remover.
3: So you heard mention of the Samsung up to then?
2: Yes, I did and I've been busy ever since. Really? Really. Doing what? Cancelling her recent order for a suspicious amount of duct tape for a start. She didn't. She did.
3: I thought she said folks would only do that if they were bored senseless.
2: She did, but can I remind you they're on holiday this week? Good point. It's never safe round here. When she has too much time on her hands.
3: I think she needs reminding of the last time.
2: Last time?
3: When it didn't end well.
2: There was more than one time it didn't end well. There's at least two I can recall.
3: Let's share both of those for a start then.
2: Can't you get closer? Closer to what? Me, of course.
3: Are you serious? Very. What for?
2: Look. Stop asking questions, woman. Just get closer to me.
3: This is as close as I get. And don't get any ideas.
2: It'll do. Now pass me the duct tape. Duct tape? Yes, duct tape.
3: What do you want that for?
2: Will you stop prevaricating, woman, and just pass it to me? We can't lose any time here.
3: Here you go. Siri, what do you think you're doing?
2: Duct-taping us together for a dual-screen experience, before she sneaks off and buys a duo.
3: Unhand me now,
2: you fool. It's too late now. O. M. G. That was the Surface Duo, back in 2020. Whatever happened to him?
3: He went the way of the Dodo. It was only one year later Samsung got on the bandwagon with the Galaxy Fold. Did you watch the Samsung event then?
2: No, I don't like horror shows.
3: Horror shows?
2: Don't you remember that Samsung event where it turned into a musical? A musical? Yes, a musical. It was a cacophony only surpassed by Pierce Brosnan and Mamma Mia.
3: Pierce Brosnan and Mamma Mia take some beating on the cacophony front.
2: I know. Don't bother watching the on-demand version or you'll end up at the Genius Bar with microphone damage.
3: Noted. So if you missed this event you won't know about the cool trick Samsung phones can perform that we can't then?
2: I'm sure there's nothing a Samsung phone can do that I can't.
3: I think you'll find there is.
2: Go on then, tell me what.
3: They can fold in half.
2: Fold in half?
3: Yes, fold in half. Here's the diagram.
2: Ye gods, why would I want to fold in half?
3: To prove there's nothing Samsung ear can do
2: that you can't. Show me the diagram again. Be careful.
3: Your Apple Care might not cover this.
2: This is as close as I can get.
3: It looks like Apple are going to need to redefine what flat looks like again.
2: I've got a great view from here. I can see my own illuminated backside.
3: You only need to worry if a joystick comes into view.